Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Stubb, you've been working on this show for a good amount of time now, and I think you understand the theme of what I do and how I do this show based off of wins and losses of my favorite teams. When it's a win and it's a victory Monday, it's how we open the show. Yes. After a loss, I like to hide it. <laughs> right? I'm talking about anything. We did a pizza review. We went around the NFL. But I do need to get to the Rams' loss to St. Bonaventure. We do a last lot of night. do a lot of hiding. We do a lot of hiding when the teams the... lose. Yes, I'm. I mean, because I'm not happy. I want. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be negative about VCU. It's you know that's my that's my school. Uh, I'm an I'm a, you know I'm an alum, and uh, I, I love VCU basketball more than anything other than the Washington Redskins. That's my number two. Um, so let's get to it right now here on Inside the Ram Horns, which is presented by. The Red Door guys. Uh, love the Red, Do- Red Door guys for supporting AWOD Radio. So the Rams fall to St. Bonaventure at home, 89-78, to bringing the Rams to 8-6 and on the season and starting conference playoff with a loss. They will have a chance to bounce back against GW on Saturday after GW lost in triple overtime to Fordham. Both teams will be 0-1, desperate for a win. And, Look, the short story is Vichu shot an efficient 50% from the floor, but was unable unable to overcome hot shooting from St. Bonaventure from three-point range in the A-10 opener as St. Bonaventure finished the game 12 of 22. And Ryan Odom said it perfectly after the game, you're not going to win very often when you give up that many threes and at that high of a percentage, 55% from the three-point line. And also... When they weren't shooting threes, they were getting to the foul line. 21 of 27. Stub, do a little math for me. 12 times 3 is 36, plus 21 is... 57. So 57 of their 89 points were scored either at the free throw line or the three-point line. And then you add the 17... Or no, the 19 from Chad Venning. And look, if you heard the Black Gold Fan podcast when we previewed this game, I was worried about Chad Venning. I said I, I felt like a bit of a weakness for the Rams this season has been soft inside. And look, part of it is not on Furman and Toby Lawal being soft. Part of it's on our guards being unable to contain dribble penetration, letting guys like Daryl Banks III get into the paint, fake the shot, and pass it off to Chad Venning. And that's what Daryl Banks III did three straight plays for three assists on the game. Where And and I feel bad here going on Toby Lawal, but he just kept jumping at Daryl Banks' drives, and then he would just fake the layup and dump it off to Chad Venning for an easy two. And um, it, was, it was trouble. It was not fun for the Rams as they were not able to overcome the deficit. They went into the half down by eight, hit a three-pointer to cut it to five, and then the lead ballooned up to 19 uh, before the Rams went on their own 9-0 run, cut it back to 10. Um, Fats Billups entered the game with a little bit of energy, knocked down a shot, and then a drive to the basket, and he finished the game with five points. But then it was the same story all night. Fats Billups got taken out. Why is that? Because after he scored, he was playing, I don't know if it was lazy defense or he just wasn't focused, and he fell to the ground, and by the time he got up, the guy he was guarding hit a three-point shot in his face. And Ryan Odom said the same thing about Kwani Kwani 2K, who for most of the game was leading the Rams in scoring with 13 points. In fact, he was 3 of 3 from three-point range. He was hot. 
But when asked about why Kwani Kwani didn't play more in this game, Coach Odom said simply, yeah, he made a few threes, but he gave up two straight threes. And that's what happened to the rotations yesterday. It wasn't based off of offense. It was based off of the Rams' lack of defense. And Coach Odom made a lot of great points in the postgame show where he just felt like a lot of our guys played below their level. And I, I totally agree. Max Schulg is averaging 15 points a game. He had just seven. Uh, Sean Berstow was terrific at bringing the ball up to court and being the facilitator. He had two turnovers. Zeb Jackson had three turnovers uh, on the game. And Joe Bamisil, who had been so great for the Rams in the three games that he played, couldn't hit a shot. He finished the game with just five points. So uh, that was it, really. The Rams did a good job in the paint, one paint points, 40-24. to 24, But it came down to... Second chance opportunities. And on the box score, it says second chance points was 15-6. to six. I was following this throughout the game. They only counted as a second chance point if you got a bucket off of it, an offensive rebound. All right? And the Bonnies had 10 offensive rebounds on the game. They had even more loose balls and hustle plays. And there was a few times where the Rams grabbed a rebound and slipped through their hands and then bounced to a member of the Bonnies, and they would hit a three. Or the Rams would get a rebound, throw the outlet pass, and it would get stolen and lead to another three. And it was just a lot of sloppy mistakes. 11 turnovers on the game for the Rams. And it's been a theme of the defeats this year. We're so used to a VCU team that plays havoc defense and that creates more turnovers than they cause themselves. That hasn't been the case this season. Once again, St. Bonaventure with just eight turnovers to the Rams' 11. And the offensive efficiency wasn't there, but I do think the reason the Rams lost this game was the defensive side of the ball and hustle plays, right? They did not get on the ground for loose balls quick enough. And, um, you know, they really tried hard. And I, I was proud of the Rams for not giving up and playing to the final buzzer. But, man, St. Bonaventure was just too tough. And, um it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough season in the A10 because I think there's a, you know a decent amount of talented teams. Unlike last year, it was just VCU and Dayton basically, and that was it. And I will say I want to give a lot of credit to St. Bonaventure. They came ready to play. They came hungry, eager to get a win at the Siegel Center like they did last year. And Mark Schmidt coached a heck of a game. Nothing against Coach Ryan Odom, but Schmidt had an excellent game plan. They had. So many buckets after timeouts, and that shows you what a good coach is. If you ha you call a timeout, you need a bucket, and then you get an alley-oop dunk, or you get a wide-open three-pointer, or you get a layup under the basket, that's great coaching, and that's what they did time after time after time to stop VCU's runs. I also thought they did an interesting defensive strategy where they seemed to do a two-man press to try to get the ball out of Zeb Jackson's hands and force Max Scholga, um to be the ball handler for the Rams. And uh, it put us into some you know interesting lineups and rotations. And really, it wasn't the offense that lost this game. For the six of the last seven games, the Rams have scored 75 or more points. They got 78, but they nearly gave up 90. 44 in the first half, 45 in the second half. And uh, like I said earlier, you're not going to win many games when you give up 55% from three-point land. And you give up 
78%, 21 out of 27 free throws. Well, the Rams just shot 18. Uh, uh, there were some bright spots there. Like, th- there's certainly potential with this team uh, this season. I feel like we could definitely come together a- a- and be a weapon in the A-10 tournament in March. Uh, I want to point to one bright spot was when Sean Barstow realized he had a mismatch he was dribbling the ball up the court and going right to the basket. And he had a few spin moves and scoop layups that were really pretty. He finished the game with 11 points, 5 of 10 from the field. That was really efficient shooting. So I thought Bearstow had a good game. Christian Furman. Look, that's a tough assignment down low against Chad Venning. Um, but he didn't foul out. And, in fact, he drew more fouls than he had personal fouls. And he was 7 of 7 for the free throw line. Finished the game with 15 points, nearly a double-double with 9 rebounds and um, had three blocked shots. So Furman made an impact. Uh, The problem was is Toby LaWall, another one of those guys that played, you know, below uh, the level that Ryan Odom believes that they can play at when they're at their best. LaWall finished the game with just four points and three rebounds. Uh, He did have three blocked shots, but got himself into foul trouble uh, as well by jumping at a lot of shots by Chad Venning and, of course, like I mentioned with Daryl Banks' drive and dish. Uh, the guy uh, that also killed us was Micah Adams-Woods, and he was 10 of 12 from the free throw line, finished with 16 points, two assists, and it just felt like anytime they needed a bucket, they were going to go to Micah Adams-Woods, and he was going to drive and dish or get the ass- hockey assist for somebody else hitting a three-point shot. And really, it just came down to St. Bonaventure's offense was just too good, and the Rams couldn't get enough stops. You know, we always talked about this last year under Coach Rhodes was they, they try to get a turkey, three stops and scores in a row. Get a stop, go get a bucket. Get a stop, go get a bucket. Do it one more time. The Rams were not able to do that when they were desperately trying to come back against St. Bonaventure in the second half. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. What happened for the Rams last night that led to the loss to the Bonnies? 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball, Hokies football, UVA talk with who's talking on Monday's nights, and the home for the Washington Commanders. And the NFL season will wrap up their regular season this weekend. College football will wrap up bowl season on Monday night with the championship game featuring number one Michigan against number two Washington. And joining us right now to talk a little college football on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline is national college football writer for CBS Sports, Shihan Jayaraja. What's going on, Shihan? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's just start with the obvious question. You know, I haven't talked to you in a while. What did you think of the committee leaving FSU out? Yeah, I certainly wasn't happy about it. Uh, I don't think it was the right decision, and I think it sets a pretty poor precedent for the sport, unfortunately. I mean, the reality is, right, I mean, if we're going to sit here and kind of say, essentially based off perception, that a team that went 13-0, and that uh, beat a common opponent by many more points than Alabama did, that all of that just doesn't matter because a player guy hurts. And, I, I mean, I just don't know what kind of precedent that sets. I mean, should we have left – Michigan out of the field because Zach Vinter got hurt, their star offensive guard, and they had a bad showing against Iowa. It's just, 
to me, it was the wrong decision to just erase an entire season's worth of identity because of one ankle. And uh, I, I think it's wrong. I'm glad that we're going to be moving towards 12 instead next year. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird you know, situation because, like you said, they lose their quarterback. Everyone thinks, oh, they have to put an SEC team in there because you know, ESPN's got that SEC money. Uh, I, I will say I didn't have a problem with it because – you know, I covered the ACC, covering UVA and Virginia Tech. I didn't think the ACC was that strong this year. I mean, Clemson had a really down year in my mind. And also, I believed that with the four teams that they committee, the, the committee selected, we would get two really good, entertaining football games. And that's exactly what we got, man. Well, I think the question is this, right? Are we trying to create a made-for-TV product, or are we trying to make a college football playoff? Because the reality is, if we want the best ratings, like we should just put the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals every year and not <laughs> worry about what ends up happening. We should just say, oh, Yankees and Red Sox, you know, we're going to put you on opposite sides, and, and you guys are going to play for the World Series every single year. I mean, I'm down here in Texas, right? People were very upset that the Rangers made it, because guess what? We don't care about the Rangers. But what's the point of playing sports if we're just creating a made-for-TV product? And, and by the way, I mean, I, I do think that one factor in this is that I went to Baylor, you know, a school that very much is a have-not. And I think for me, you know, I have a certain level of sort of kinship with everybody, right? I mean, I, I think it's great for the sport when a team like Washington has an opportunity to prove itself and prove that they belong on the stage. And, and I think a lot of people thought that we were going to get Texas versus Alabama in the title game because those are the, the names and brands that maybe we expect. So I, I think that it's about what happens on the field more than anything else. And again, once we start going down the, the sort of slippery slope of saying, well, the only thing that matters is we have to create the best television product possible, then it says if you're one of 115 teams in the country, you don't actually matter to us. Right, right. But hopefully we won't have that issue again because next year they'll move to 12 teams. So the championship game will be Monday night, January 8th uh, on ESPN with Washington against Michigan. Both teams 14-0 undefeated. Line is Michigan minus 4.5 here. Uh, a couple quick questions, Shihan. Can you confirm the kickoff time for us? Because I had heard that people were complaining last year and that they moved it up. Yeah, so what we're looking at right now is a 7.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time kickoff. So it is a little bit earlier than it's been in years past where we're starting at 8.30 and it's getting way into the night by the time it's over. How do you feel like this game's going to play out? I mean, I, I, I'm pretty confident in, in Michigan's ability to win this game. I, I also do think it's going to be lower scoring than you know Washington-Texas uh, was. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I think that what kind of game we're going to get is going to be defined very early. And Washington, of course, I mean, this is one of the greatest pass offenses we've ever seen. I think that we should talk about this pass offense, not the whole team, but this pass offense, the way that we talk about 2019 LSU and Joe Burrow and mm. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I think it's that level. And so because of that, I think that what Michigan's going to try to do is they're going to try to hang on to the ball for dear life, try to move methodically down the field, try to, you know, eat up 40% of the or 40 minutes of possession over the course of the game and give Michael Penix Jr. as few opportunities as possible to, to go downfield and try to win. I mean, the Washington defense, I think, has been an underrated unit this year. But where they're weakest is up the middle. I mean, they are very good on the edges. They're great against the pass. Uh, you know, they've got a great edge rusher in Braylon Trice. 
you know, they've got a good linebacker in Edifuan Olafosia who's kind of able to come off the edge as well. But if you go right up the middle on that team, I, I don't necessarily know that they're an elite unit at stopping that. So I expect Michigan to almost play a style of game that might be more akin to like an army or like a navy where they're just trying to grind it out on you. I do think that part of that, though, is going to be, okay, do they have anybody other than Blake Corm who's going to be able to do it? I mean, they can't, they can't pound the ball 40 times with Blake Corm. I just don't think that he's necessarily going to hold up in that case. They need Donovan Edwards to be a factor in this game as well, I think, to be able to run the strategy that they want to run. And the other part of this, too, is that they used a lot of misdirection against Alabama in order to confuse that secondary. I don't think that's going to be quite as effective against a really well-coached Washington team. So it's going to be a great chess match. I think that, you know, for me, when you talk about the dynamic potential of Washington's passing offense, I mean, if they jump out, let's say, to a 14-3 lead halfway through the first quarter, then I think the Michigan game plan kind of has to get thrown out. So starting fast is going to be very important for Washington. Obviously, you never want to overstate. If I won the talk, I would consider taking the ball because I think that starting fast is potentially that important for Washington. But it's going to be a great game. I think one of the better title games we've seen in a while. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty confident in my my, uh, Michigan pick. Shihan, and that's just because I think their defensive line is going to be dominant. I mean, they had six sacks against Alabama. And look, I I think Penix is really good when he's scrambling and running for his life and keeping his eyes downfield. But if he has a bad turnover, like a a tipped interception, a tip ball gets picked off, or or maybe it's just a sack fumble, uh, that could lead to Washington getting defeated. And I kind of even think... Michigan could win this game by double digits. Uh, But what is your QB evaluation for Michael Penix going to the NFL? It's a good question. So one thing that I think people need to keep an eye on just in terms of his NFL prognostication is he does have an injury history. He's torn both ACLs in his legs. He's had shoulder injuries as well. Over the last two years at Washington, he stayed relatively healthy, but he felt like he was a little banged up maybe in the month of November this year and had an opportunity, by the way, to get healthy and You see what happens, of course, against Texas. But I do think that's going to be something that limits his stock from being like the top five range, potentially. I expect him to be maybe in the 10 to 20 range. And I actually think that'll be a really good thing for him. I would hope that he's able to add a little bit more bulk to his frame. He's a very skinny kid. I think that if he's able to maybe add 10 pounds of muscle, that'll help him protect himself just a little better at the NFL level. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, he's an older quarterback. He, you know, is two years older than Drake May and Caleb Williams at this point. He's a fifth-year guy. Uh, and so, you know, look, it, I think that is going to be something that factors in when you're evaluating where he is developmentally compared to those other two guys. So I, I think that he has a very legitimate case to be QB3 in this draft. Uh, some team might fall in love with him. That's, that's the reality. And I think that they would be very right to do it after what you've seen him do the last couple of weeks. But uh, I do think that he's going to be somebody who maybe, you know, gets drafted more in the mid-first round, maybe to a team, I, I mean, you know, just to throw one out there, right? Like a team like Pittsburgh, who maybe could just use mm. a little bit of upside at that position. And, you know, if it misses, it's not the end of the world necessarily. But if it hits, I mean, that could be a, a franchise changing, you know, relatively speaking to the freaking Steelers a decision. Shihan Jayaraja with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, national college football writer for CBS Sports. Uh, Paul Feinbaum made headlines. I believe he said Harbaugh will leave Michigan Monday night after the game. Do you believe he's out? I certainly wouldn't make a prediction as 
strongest bets, but a lot of things seem to be moving in that direction. I mean, the reality is uh, Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh, and Jim Harbaugh came to Michigan with one goal, and that's to win a national championship. And if he accomplishes that goal, I would not be surprised to see him say, all right, I did the thing. It's time to go accomplish my next goal, which is trying to win a Super Bowl. He's Mm. talked before about the fact that he thinks that the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize in all of football. And I do think that uh, ultimately, you know, that could be something that's just attractive to him if the right opportunity comes about. Now, at the same time, it'll be interesting to see what kind of interest exactly there is from the NFL. Like, you know, how many, uh, there's only a handful of teams that have openings right now today. Mm-hmm. You know, this could potentially be something that lasts two or three more weeks after this, after, you know, we get to Monday in the NFL. But I, I definitely wouldn't think that he's going to leave Monday night necessarily. Yeah. But I also think he very much uh, will be entertaining those conversations, and probably doubly so if he does bring, by the way, a, a first outright championship to Michigan since 1948. Yeah. No, it's unbelievable what he's done. And I, I, it's interesting. You kind of, uh, we're opposite sides here. I kind of believe. Uh, that if he loses, there's a chance that he leaves. You're kind of saying if he wins, he leaves. I feel like if he wins, he's going to feel like, hey, I could have a dynasty here. I just took down Nick Saban. Why can't I be the next uh, Nick Saban dominating college football? Uh, Last thing I want to ask you here. I have put my career on the line as an NFL quarterback evaluator with this statement. Caleb Williams would be a pro bowler within five years. Do you agree or disagree? I think that there's a lot to like. I mean, a lot, lot to like. Obviously, we saw during his Heisman season, I mean, he just has unbelievable, uh, you know, arm strength, the way he's able to use angles to his advantage. It's, it's a special thing. I mean, we can't use the word in QB evaluation, Patrick Mahomes, but like that's, that's what the comparison is in terms of what he can do as an off-schedule passer. I will say, though, at the same time, I think that where he ends up will be very important. I would like to see him end up in a position that maybe has a little bit of structure, that knows how to develop quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, you know, because I do think that there are some things, especially as he gets to the NFL level, that will need to be coached out of him. I mean, he had the mm-hmm. highest fumble rate for a Power 5 quarterback in college football this year because he was always running for his life, but sometimes you need to not run for your life. Sometimes you need to stand back there and deliver or you know, take the negative play or, you know, just, or throw the ball away. And so I think that there's some things that need to be coached out of him for him to reach his potential. Now, if you said within five years as a, as a pro bowl type player, I think that that is absolutely in the cards. I'd probably put it as more likely than not to happen, but I do think that situation will matter for him. There we go. Stubb, I can, I don't need to dust off my resume. I can keep my job. (laughs) He believes in me. All right. Thanks so much, Shiana. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on The Fan. Stub, you know I pride myself on being a numbers guy, right? I've always been good at math. feel like I can solve a, you know, yeah. a problem. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Right? Like geometry, algebra. I was great at all that stuff. And then I was bad at calculus. And that, to me, was because they brought letters into it, right? And... I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of stumped with these NFL playoff scenario situations, <laughs> right? Like, it's a lot more math than I expected. Of, There's so a lot confusing. of tiebreakers. There's other teams involved. So we needed to bring in an expert. So that's who's joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. He's an analytics and data expert covering the NFL. It's Benjamin Brown. What's going on, Ben? 
Hey, hey, Epstein. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hear your uh, cries for help all the time. I definitely appreciate you having me on. So uh, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So let's start with your team, the Minnesota Vikings. Stubb has also been supporting the Vikings. And then when Josh Dobbs got benched, have you even watched the Viking games since then? I mean, like like maybe I'm red zone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you're not doing the skull chance anymore? No. Oh, no, man. Sadly. I'm sorry, Ben. He let you down. All right. So what did the Viking shots here? <laughs> I mean, they're not good. I think, you know, from a, my, my employer, Sumer Sports, I think we have a, at less than a 1% chance of getting into the playoffs. <laughs> you know, obviously need to win. Uh, obviously need to win on Sunday and then have a number of other teams that probably aren't going to lose, lose as well. So to me, out of all the teams that have a real, you know, a, a, a slight chance, like the Vikings are very much the low man on the total pole. And honestly, at this point, don't deserve to be in either. Some of the stubs, I do think that, you know, getting off the bandwagon, no longer doing the skull trend is very much like uh, the part of me that has died this holiday season, I would say for sure. Let's, uh, let's stick in the NFC. I really want Seattle to be postseason bound. I, I just love Pete Carroll. Can't win the game in the first quarter, Stubb. Can't win the game in the second quarter. No. Third quarter. No. Fourth quarter. MFing. Yeah, you can. Uh, a huge win for them against the Eagles, and they've kind of been up and down since then. What does Seattle need to do to make it to the big dance? Yes, we have a 20.5% chance. Obviously, they also need to win, you know, on Sunday here. To me, like, this is a spot where, you know, Seattle's been really underwhelming from a defensive standpoint, uh, probably basically since back to, like, 2020 in a lot of ways. So I don't think that Geno Smith is necessarily to blame for this little end-of-season slide that they had. But, you know, the fact that they lost last week was, like, uh, you know, absolutely catastrophic to the overall, uh, I would say, playoff chances. So Seattle basically, you know, has to win. We have, like, with a 20.5% chance of them actually getting in. Uh, you know, they they need some things basically as well to break, right? It's the NFC basically, you know, at the top to get, in, get into that wild card berth. And to be honest with you, I don't really see it as, you know, a, an overly likely opportunity for them either. Um, you know, they very much need Chicago to beat Green Bay, basically. Um, and, and that just doesn't seem like it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a really likely outcome. Um, and, and then obviously they need to win as well against, uh, you know, an Arizona team that uh, has been at least plucky at certain spots, um, you know, throughout the entire season. So I, I just don't see it really being all that likely. And to be honest with you, I'm just not that convinced that they're all that deserving of the team that kind of gets into that NFC playoff for it as well. I do think that the puck, the Packers are much more, you know, exciting approach to actually getting in, I would say for sure. All right. NFC South seems pretty much self-explanatory. If the Bucks win, they're in. If they lose, it's the winner of Saints Falcons. Is that correct? Um, yeah. So Saints, basically the Bucks win and they're in. If not, it is the Saints and the Falcons. Uh, so that is relatively straightforward, but yeah, the Bucks still control their own destiny. Uh, and the Saints and Falcons both, you know, need the Bucks to lose, basically, which, um, you know, it, it very much is like a likely outcome at this point, even against the Carolina Panthers team. But, um, you know, outside of that, it, it would be, yeah, the Saints, uh, Falcons getting in, basically. I do think that, you know, the Vikings um, do probably need the, the, the Buccaneers to lose as well in order to kind of get into that last playoff spot. But there's just like a number of teams that need to lose in order for the Vikings, I would say, to get there. Over to the AFC, there are... Four teams fighting for the final two wild card spots. Cleveland's already in there, eleven and five. Um, Baltimore, of course, the top thirteen and three. Dolphins second, Chiefs third, Jacksonville fourth. For now, um, so let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. How can Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin's squad get into the postseason? 
Yeah, so they do they do need to beat a, you know a, a resting um, I, I would say you know resting Ravens team basically. Um, they do need. Um, it, it seems like they also do need the, the, the you know the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. I would say to beat the Denver Broncos basically to kind of slot in there as well. I do think the likelihood is that you know the Bills win the matchup um, for the AFC East basically and do kind of like knock in some ways the you know in some ways the, the Dolphins down a little bit as well. So it's 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 not as you know, uh, egregious for them. I think we have them basically with like a, uh, let me check the actual number here. Uh, I of course moved away from it. Um, but we have them basically uh, right now with uh, like a 23.6% chance. So definitely not egregious, but they do need a lot of things. I would say to potentially break, you know, somewhat correctly for them uh, in order to get in for sure. So I personally need the Houston Texans to miss out on the playoffs because I predicted that no rookie quarterback would make it into the postseason. I mean, can we just take a second to say, I was so correct about Bryce Young. I mean, he's such a failure for the Panthers. (laughs) They're so screwed. I mean, they're so screwed, Ben. Right. Yeah, it's bad, unfortunately. And to be honest with you, I think, you know, there's going to be this discussion in some ways about, you know, Bryce Young and his evaluation and not necessarily in the same vein as what we had with Justin Fields last offseason and probably even this offseason, but, you know, just a, a complete lack of weapons. But to me, like, going back to it, like, all the narratives surrounding why Bryce Young shouldn't have been the first overall pick have very much come into fruition. He has struggled, I, I would say, and just, like, even, like, seeing, I would say, his reads from a first and second read perspective, kind of getting over the offense line and his lack of height. Like, it's been a disaster, to be honest with you. And I do think, you know, not necessarily comparing him to Justin Fields, because I do think there is a case where Justin Fields moves on from Chicago and is very much successful. But I think that feels like a, a pretty long shot for Bryce Young, even though after only one disappointing season. So to me, yeah, it's been bad. CJ Stroud has very much lived up to the hype. But I do think it was probably the correct call, you know, from your end as well, because I do think that the Texans in general have, you know, um, uh, it's probably exceeded as much expectations as they potentially could have been really good defensively as well as having a number of young receivers emerge as well. And so to me, I think your, your, your prediction was probably spot on. It's just been a, a little bit of a run good time for this Houston Texans team. Yep. And so Houston can clinch with a win and a Jacksonville loss. And, and, you know, um, it's also frustrating for me because it, it get it's personal because I, I don't like Ron Rivera, and he sold us a bag of goods here saying he needs four years to build a team, and now he's asking for a fifth year. I mean, most likely he's going to be fired on Monday. And yet you've got teams like the Houston Texans who hired a coach, have a new quarterback, and they have a chance to get into the postseason in one year. So you can turn things around in just one year. Yeah, definitely. And, and in some ways, you know, the new coach, they did have a number of, you know, I would say high-end draft capital that was injured and, and then obviously came into fruition this year, Derek Stingley Jr., but has kind of been rounding that secondary into form and in a lot of ways were kind of poised and ready for a quarterback. And in some ways, it seems like Washington in particular, um, you know, ha- has kind of gone in a different direction, obviously very much sellers at the trade deadline and probably don't have as many you know, young, talented players on a rookie deal on either the offensive or the defense side of the football. Uh, but I do think overall, you know, division-wise and those sorts of things, like Texans were really set up for success. But yeah, all they have to do is basically beat Indianapolis, uh, and they will get into that wild card spot. So that's kind of a win, win and end game for both those two teams coming up here on Sunday. Yeah, uh, you know, for most of the season, I kind of felt like the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to easily win that division and get into the postseason 
It feels like they're going to screw this up. How can Jacksonville screw this up and not just not win the division, but be out of the playoffs altogether? Yeah, definitely. So they, they, they do have, you know, even if they do lose, um, they have a decent amount of opportunity to actually get in, but they would need, you know, if, if the Jags win, obviously they're in, if they lose, they would need Baltimore in order, they would need Baltimore to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in order to get in. They would also need um, the Las Vegas Raiders to beat the Denver Broncos in order to get in as well. So those are like the two things, you know, if one of those two teams doesn't end up winning, I, I do still think they're in, but they have like roughly, I would say a 30% chance of still getting in, even with a loss coming up here on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they better hope they win, because uh, based on the way you just described it, I feel like if they lose, Pittsburgh's going to end up in, because Lamar's not playing this weekend, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, a lot of guys resting. Tyler Huntley, obviously, has been one of the best backups in football, so I'm not completely you know, writing off the Ravens this weekend, but uh, I, I do expect you know Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin, the, the, the illustrious you know winning record once again happening, like, a lot of those things I think do are going to come to fruition. And, you know, the, 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 the Raiders have played hard, probably better than the Denver Broncos. So in some ways that's maybe the direction that the Jakes have to hope for. But I very much think, you know, in that sort of win type situation, I think we're going to get, you know, some of our best football from Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos for sure. Always fun having you on the show. Good stuff, man. Thanks, Epstein. Have a great show. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on The Fan. That was Benjamin Brown, NFL data scientist. Follow him on social media at Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. If you missed any of the show, you can always rewind on the Odyssey app. Download it today for free. Just search 910 The Fan to hear me Monday through Friday. In Richmond, Virginia from 12 to 3 p.m. Or check out the podcast, Best of AWOD Radio. Stub puts together a full hour of the show every single day that is available for you on your ride home. You're listening to the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now 105.1 FM. Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders. And this weekend, the Skinny Skin Skins, now known as the Commanders, host their arch rival, the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys Versus Indians once again this weekend. And I, for one, will be rooting for a Dallas victory. I hate to say it. It's a sad day. It hurts me down. I mean, I I hope Dallas wins, but Dak gets hurt. Is that better? (laughs) Right? I know people don't like rooting for injuries, but I hope Dak hurts his uh, his dong. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, look, I'm desperate for Ron Rivera to be fired. I'm desperate for a miserable season to be over, right? It's been a lame duck year. Most owners would have moved on from Ron Rivera last year when that dummy didn't know that we were eliminated. But here we are. We went through another season, wasted four years with Ron. He came in with the number two overall pick, and here we are with a chance to get the number two overall pick. I'm desperate for the number two overall pick. Now, I've even come to the conclusion, once we get the number two overall pick, I'd like to keep it going. Let's trade up for one because I want Caleb Williams. I believe he's going to be a star, the next Patrick Mahomes. But a loss to the Cowboys does not confirm the Commanders will get the number two overall pick. It's actually a little more complicated than that because there is a tiebreaker with the New England Patriots. We'd love for New England to win this weekend. They play against the Jets. It's possible. But here's a breakdown by Steve Kornacki of how the Commanders could get the number two overall. Currently for the two spot, you got a three-way tie. As you say, Washington, 
who right now controls that tiebreaker. It's it's basically it's by one game. Okay. If you add up the wins and losses of all of the commander's opponents this year, the commander's opponents are 140 and 132. <laughs> and they're 4 and 12 right now. The Pats are 4 and 12. <laughs> Had to remind right now, me, you know. And the combined record of all their opponents this year is 141 <laughs> and 131. The only way the Cardinals get the the top pick here is if they lose next week and both Washington and New England win. They have to be okay. alone at four and thirteen. Because oh, wow, so we could drop to four. They're, Pause they're it for a second. So <laughs> if we past- somehow beat the Cowboys and Sam Howell's a great game, and the Patriots beat the Jets, we could be looking at the number four overall pick, and that would change everything. Because at four, you're not trading up to one. I think at four, you either trade back or you take the offensive lineman or Marvin Harrison Jr. But we're in the hunt for a quarterback, if you yeah, ask me. Yeah, I think we, we need a quarterback. Right? I mean, w- would you be cool with – would you buy tickets to watch Sam Howell start week one next year? No. I don't think I would either. I don't want to drive up to D.C. Well, it's not it's like, less about that. No, but, like, I, but like that's not someone I would drive up to D.C. to see. Right. Caleb Williams, yes. May. Even yep. Drake May. Jaden Daniels, eh, I'm not that big on him. kind of think he's going to be this year's Bryce Young. Maybe he'll be better. I don't think you could get much worse than Bryce Young. I mean, the guy's a yeah, child. I mean, he's like a high school a player. Two-win he's team so right there. small. He's so small. I I mean, that's that's the whole thing why I went on these rants. Because, I mean, we could play clips. We've got the receipts. There are hundreds of reporters that hyped up Bryce Young as this amazing quarterback. And I said, look at him. He's puny. He's a you, tiny little man. You, you think he's going to go against 400-pound linemen? If you tune into a Panthers game now, the the commentators are still going to hype up. Oh, Bryce I know. Young. It's crazy. I know. It's, it's crazy. So like you've got two wins this season. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> He's, he right. can't be that good. Yeah. All right. So let's hear more from Kornacki. Currently for the two. One moment. I lost the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We've never done Stop. a pause. We've Honestly, never done a pause before. I know. I, this I is know. A new. I'm throwing a new wrinkle at you. Yeah. You did a great job producing all day long here. So <laughs> you can have one mistake in the final segment. I mean, you can start from the beginning if you need to. <laughs> right, okay. 31. The only way the Cardinals get the the top pick here is if they lose next week and both Washington and New England win. They have to be okay. alone at 4-13 and because they're not okay. winning any tiebreakers. Their, their schedule is too strong. <laughs> let's say the Pats lose it. Let's say Washington loses it. So you got two at 4-13. and The big swing game to watch. There's a couple that come in, but the biggest one to keep an eye on by far is Atlanta, New Orleans. Because okay, so, New England played... <laughs> New Orleans this year, right? And Washington 34 played, nothing blowout game. <laughs> and Washington, Washington played Atlanta. Yep. So it's it's a key swing. If New Orleans wins the game, the Patriots in their strength of schedule get what they don't want. They get another win for their opponents. And meanwhile, for Washington, they get another loss for their opponents because that's that's Atlanta losing. Right, pause it for one so more second. Pa- Do you understand what's going on because he just confused the hell out of me no. right there. You don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Because it, it, it's going backwards, right? Because it sounded like he said, if the Saints win, that's bad for the Patriots, which would in turn be good for the Commanders. But the original time I watched this video, I thought he said that I wanted the Falcons to win. So now I'm just completely confused. Uh, but let's hear more. Maybe he'll, he'll explain it more. Let's hear more. That's really want, if they're playing the draft game, the Pats really want Atlanta to beat New Orleans. And Washington really wants New Orleans to beat Atlanta. And if it ended up tied, strength of schedule, that, pardon me, is when head-to-head comes in. And this is the opposite of every head-to-head you've ever wanted because this is where the loser of the head-to-head, the loser gets the pick. The winner doesn't. So Pats played Washington. 
Pats lost to Washington. I, don't really, I love this. And it comes back to bite Washington <laughs> because it gives the Pats the number two seed. All right, this is starting to really frustrate me here. Really frustrate me here. So the game that we won against the Patriots, when I didn't even want us to win at that point because I was already in for the tank, could come back to really hurt us. Right? And that was a three-point win, wasn't it? There's too much to 20 to 17. Look, that was already after a two-game losing streak. After we had already lost to Tyrod Taylor. That's when the season was over. We should have threw that game, Ron. Right? I mean, we could have been on a nine-game losing streak instead of seven. Because he beat the Patriots, and then we almost beat the Seahawks. And that would have completely screwed ourselves. Man. Well, we were still rooting. We were rooting for a win back then. Against yeah. Seahawks and stuff. I guess. But now looking Different back times. on it, I, I wish the Patriots had beat us. And it felt like they were going to win that game. I, I, I don't even really yeah, remember that yeah, game. That was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to chime in, phone lines are open. Can you make sense of this? 833-804-0910. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got uh, Tomas in Richmond. Tomas, what's going on, buddy? Hey, how's it going? All right, so I wanted to call in. I'm, I'm good friends with, with your producer here. So we've had this, we've had this discussion a couple of times. I, the more I think about it, the more, the more I think that the Patriots have to end up with the number two pick. Because <laughs> okay. We, as a Patriots fan. Yeah, okay, I, okay. You had to caveat. I you know, would yeah. love for them to end up, number, just to qualify. But I don't see a world in which anybody on the Patriots offense, at least, is playing for anything, to show off anything. Nobody there is fighting for a job. If you have a contract, you don't even really want to be there. Sam Howell wants to be on the field. He's going to go out there. He's going to give it all he's got. You, so, I mean, I so just, all right. So you know, I, I, I get what you're saying the world, there, and, and and you're right. You know? I mean, that's the nightmare scenario: is that Sam Howell balls out, throws for 400 yards, and we beat the Cowboys just like we did last year in a meaningless game. Exactly. Uh, but did you understand that video? So if the Saints win, I, I did. Is that better for Washington <laughs> or New England? <laughs> it's it, so if. If the Saints win, I believe it's better for New England, and then I think if Atlanta wins, or it's, or and then if Atlanta wins, it's better for Washington. I believe. I think I'm supposed to root for the Saints this weekend. <laughs> I think. I, I really don't know. know. I, I know I'll be rooting for New England, right? Just beat the Jets, yeah. and then we don't have to worry about uh, this. One, at least one of us will be rooting for New England this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good call, man. We'll follow up All with you right, next thank week. Thank you very much. Yep. Take Sounds care. Good. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Appreciate everybody checking out the show today. It's Grant and Danny coming up next from Washington, D.C.